Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Did you know Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by your editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world. And don't miss our newest newsletter, Our Queerest Shelves, which will deliver LGBTQ news and recommendations straight to your inbox. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery slash thriller aficionados, nonfiction readers, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukara, and fellow writer Alice Burton. Recording this week's episode on Thursday, March 25th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I feel like things are starting to feel a little eventful. I don't know if that's universal, but I feel like more than maybe it's the possibility of hope that has appeared on the horizon. (laughs) What, What are your thoughts on this? Do you mean eventful in the sense that we may get to attend events in the future soon? Or like, what do you mean by eventful? Yeah, okay. So like, I I think that normally for the last year-ish, when people have been like, what have you been up to? You know, it's been like, well, sitting in my home, uh, reading or watching (laughs) television. And Now it's sort of like, well, I'm I'm potentially planning an activity for the future. Mm, yes. But that will, you know, ideally take place outside of the home, but not necessarily. So <laughs> that's new. It is. Which is exciting. Yes, I feel the same way. Um, people close to me are getting vaccinated or have had their first rounds of vaccine. So that feels positive. I I have a vacation. PTO in the calendar for July, where I am hoping to spend time at my parents' cabin. Like, yeah, I I think there it feels like the future has interesting things in it for the first time in a while. So I I, I agree with you on that account. Amazing, it is amazing. Before we get into the episode, I have one quick piece of follow up. Our last episode, I talked about the books I was reading now. Um, I was reading a couple of memoirs, and I wanted to – or I had finished a memoir, and I was starting another one. Uh, and the one that I was starting was The Smallest Lights in the Universe by Sarah Seeger, which is a memoir by uh, a woman who is a astrophysicist and a widow. And so she uh, is writing sort of this dual memoir about her – Uh, experience in the sciences and also her experience losing her husband and I finished that one and it was it was really beautiful I mean it was a fascinating kind of juxtaposition between those two stories but I also loved the way that she used space and her research in exoplanets to talk about her experiences of grief and loss and uh, I just thought it was really great so if you are interested in a memoir like that uh, The Smallest Lights in the Universe by Sarah Seeger was excellent and I I'm glad I read it 
Fantastic. And let's get into our first sponsor, which I am excited about. It is Mango and Peppercorns, written by Tung Wen, Catherine Manning, and Lin Wen, published by Chronicle Books. This is a powerful memoir of resilience, friendship, and family from the acclaimed female chefs behind the award-winning Haivong Vietnamese restaurant in Miami. It is through powerful narrative, archival imagery, and 20 Vietnamese recipes that mirror their story, Mango and Peppercorns is a unique contribution to culinary literature. I can't explain why I love the phrase culinary literature, but I (laughs) really, really do. Maybe it's the many syllables. This real-life American dream is a welcome reminder of our country's long-standing tradition of welcoming refugees and immigrants, and this book adds a touch point to that larger conversation resonating beyond the bookshelf. This includes recipes like beef noodle soup, spicy ribs. They talk about how behind the scenes, Tung and Kathy navigate the challenges of immigration, uh, assimilation, blending families, making ends meet, uh, and raising Tung's daughter. And uh, sort of the dynamics that they also experience uh, in their relationships with each other and how that is embodied in the restaurant's signature mango and peppercorn sauce, which, by the way, sounds amazing. Oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh. Anyway, that, again, is Mango and Peppercorns, published by Chronicle Books. Thank you for sponsoring. And this is neither here nor there, but the cover of this book is gorgeous. It is this beautiful, like, neon-colored fruit illustrations. Uh, it's it's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, neither here nor there, but we always love a good cover. We do. Yes. All right. Our first one every week is nonfiction in the news. So I feel like it hasn't been a super busy nonfiction news uh, cycle, but there was one article I pulled out that I was excited about. Uh, and the one we're going to link to is by Cesar Rankin from Entertainment Weekly, and it is about Phoebe Robinson, and it is about her new book that will be coming out this fall. The book is called Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes, uh, which makes me laugh because... That's not a thing I like have really ever thought about, but ever since I saw that as a book title, I was like, oh yeah, why do people sit on beds in outside clothes? That sounds terrible. I don't know. Something about that really makes me laugh. So anyway, Phoebe Robinson is an essayist. Um, Her first essay collection was called You Can't Touch My Hair, and it came out in 2016. I was on a lot of book lists that I've seen over the last year because it's great. Um, And so she has launched her own book imprint called Tiny Reparations, and then that imprint is what's going to be publishing Please Don't Sit on My Bed in Your Outside Clothes. So this Entertainment Weekly article also has a cover reveal. Uh, The cover is amazing. She is sitting on this purple chair in this this beautiful, amazing, sparkly green like ball gown, and uh, her afro is just enormous, and it looks so cool. Uh, so that looks great, and I'm excited. I think this is another gonna be another really great essay collection. Have you read her other books? Um, I have read uh, her second one, Everything's Trash, but it's okay, which I bought at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> Sounds about right, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, she I mean, she's great. And and you're right, the cover of this is amazing. She looks extremely 70s in the most glamorous way. And yes. I'm very on board for that. Super on board. So we'll link to that so you can see the cover for yourself. But that'll be out this fall and I'm jazzed about it. All right. So uh, with that, we'll shift gears into our new nonfiction segment where we talk about books coming out soon or uh, within the last month or so that we are either excited about or have read and can recommend. So 
The first book that I want to talk about is uh, called North by Shakespeare, A Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth Behind the Bard's Work by Michael Blanding. Um, This is a book coming out March 30th from Hachette. And uh, this one got on my radar because Michael Blanding wrote a previous book that I really liked called The Map Thief. And The Map Thief is about this guy who's an antiquarian map dealer who also spent many years stealing antiquarian maps and selling them on the black market. And so that book is sort of a dual story about this map thief and then also a history of maps and uh, kind of a survey of like the antiquarian map landscape, I guess. And it was fascinating and really like one of those great nerdy nonfiction books. Uh, And this one is right in a similar vein. So I am confident recommending it without having gotten too far into it yet. So this one, uh, North by Shakespeare, has kind of a similar structure of sort of a modern day story and then a history that goes along with it. So uh, the modern day tale is about this uh, self-taught Shakespearean expert named Dennis McCarthy, who, um, after doing some work using a computer and plagiarism analysis software, starts to develop a new theory about the source of Shakespeare's plays. And his argument is that uh, a man named Thomas North who uh, worked for Robert Dudley in Elizabeth's court, is actually sort of the, the, the originator of Shakespeare's plays in that North wrote a bunch of plays and books and essays that Shakespeare used phrases and inspiration and plot and everything from to write his plays. So it's not that North wrote Shakespeare's plays, but that Shakespeare used a lot, took a lot of what North had written in writing the plays himself. And so McCarthy kind of starts to develop this theory and then spends like 15 years trying to prove it and trying to kind of make his way in Shakespearean scholarship, arguing this kind of new and uh, radical theory about who actually, like how Shakespeare's plays came to be. And so then the history side of it is a story about Thomas North, who he was, what his role in the Elizabethan court was, about Elizabeth's Renaissance court at the time, all the different people, Renaissance playwrights, and kind of what that whole scene was like at the time and how Thomas North may have come to some of the inspiration that he wrote about and then that Shakespeare took and that McCarthy believes Shakespeare took and wrote himself. So I have to admit, like, I'm an English major, but I never really studied Shakespeare. Like, I managed to take all of the classes I needed for my degree without ever doing a deep dive Shakespeare class. So I am not a Shakespeare even, like, beginner, like, knowledge person. So I have no idea if like how much water any of these theories hold or anything like that. But what's interesting about the book is that part of what Blanding is doing in his like modern modern storyline is doing some of the investigating that McCarthy has not done. So actually going to like source documents and trying to like tell the story of McCarthy while also trying to tell whether his theory actually works or not. So I just think it's really interesting. It's been very fun. Um, Some of the parts in the history get a little like heavy on like British names and dukes of whatever that I kind of gloss over. But on the whole, like there are a couple of fun stories and I like hearing about Queen Elizabeth. I think she's really kind of fascinating and they're they're kind of a fun dual narrative to put together. So uh, I like this one so far. I think Yeah, I think it's really good. So, North by Shakespeare, A Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth Behind the Bard's Work by Michael Blanding. I don't know why I get so – I'm going to go with pugilistic when people start (laughs) being like, I have a new theory about who Shakespeare was or what he wrote. Uh, I don't don't really have a a horse in that race. I also was not ever super into Shakespeare. Like, I'll go see his plays, sure, but I, I won't be very jazzed about it. I cannot understand them. And I don't, like, I don't, they're not that difficult, but I just, every time I try to read a Shakespeare play, I'm just like, oh, God, no. <laughs> I like the comedies. 
Those are good. Much Ado About Nothing is fantastic. Midsummer Night's Dream is fun. It's a me problem more than it is a Shakespeare problem, obviously. But learning about Shakespeare and like that whole time period, I do think is for me interesting, even if the plays themselves are not like the thing I love. Don't blame yourself, Kim. Blame Shakespeare. (laughs) It's it's his fault. Uh, No, it's uh, totally. I walked out of King Lear. So that's that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Uh, Other than no, that sounds really good. And I, d- I looked at the Britannica entry on Shakespeare to see what it had to say about uh, Sir Thomas North. And, it, and it, there, at the very least, is a, a definitely proven connection between them. And so I'd be mm-hmm. interested to see what else the book has to say. Let's look at Mexico. Let's just <laughs> go across the ocean. So my first pick this week is Horizontal Vertigo, A City Called Mexico by Juan Vioro. This is a a translated work, and I really love books about cities Mm -hmm. that are just – because, you know, humans, we have a a pretty transitory existence. And I'm not saying that cities don't as well, but theirs tends to be a little longer. So, you know, we look at Paris, and it's been there for thousands of years in some form, similar to London. Also, places in Italy. I am very bad at geography. Um, But – uh, so this is about uh, Mexico City in particular, and Juan Vioro, he does this kind of um, flaneur perspective, so like walking around it, um, and then as he's just wandering, he is describing people and places and like drawing connections and talking about um, from indigenous antiquity to the Aztec period to when Spanish conquistadors came through to the 21st century when Mexico City is this massive city that is uh that continues to grow and uh it's it's all um sorted around topics like living in the city city characters uh that's that sounds real fun shocks crossing shocks is um it's on a uh, tectonic plateau so there are um there are earthquakes which you know that's that's the fun of the western coast of north america but it's just it it sounds very sort of i was gonna say hazy and that's not right but i think with the wandering you get almost like a dreamlike quality while also relating this these facts and this history which uh i i love that kind of of melding so if you're interested in uh, the story of a city in random facts, which I always am. So I know that there are others who are as well. And history, then just in general, but particularly right of Mexico and Mexico City. Then this is Horizontal Vertigo, A City Called Mexico by Juan Vioro. Oh, that sounds really great. And um, I'm glad you picked a translated book. I feel like that's a big gap in my reading is books and translation. So I appreciate that you brought one of those. Uh, it sounds really good. I don't know that we see as much nonfiction in translation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, actually. That's, I wonder, be something to, to investigate because I don't, I don't actually know. Oh. Hmm. All right. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> my next pick is one that actually came out earlier in the month. Uh, it's called The Empathy Diaries, a memoir by Sherry Turkle, uh, which came out March 2nd from Penguin Press. And this is another one by an author that I have previously read that I was excited to see that they had a new book because I, I liked their previous work. 
Um, Sherry Trickle is an MIT professor, and she studies um, computers and empathy and human connection. So um, her previous book, the one that I remembered off the top of my head, was Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other, which came out back in, I think, 2011 and was about how technology affects relationships, empathy, and community, and, quote, how we remake ourselves in the mirror of our machines. That one was really, I, I liked it at the time I was... Um, it was just a really interesting look at like how technology affects relationships. And I think that that topic has like continued to be really interesting. Um, so this book is um, more, less academic and a memoir. So she looks at, Sherry Trickle looks at her life and how her life experiences led her to kind of the area of study that she's well known for now, which is um, around empathy and technology and relationships. She's in her 70s, so it is kind of a full encompassing story about her life and her research. So part of it's a coming-of-age story where she grew up in Brooklyn in a house that um, had a lot of secrets. Her father left when she was very young, and she didn't know why. And when her mother remarried, she actually took her new stepfather's name. So they sort of like excised her father out of her life, and she never really knew why. Um, She connects with him later in life and finds out some things about their family and relationship and why her mother made the decision she did. Her mother was very secretive, and so she, as a young kid, learned about using empathy as a survival mechanism in kind of a difficult household. And so she goes to college in the, I think, late 1960s. Um, She's at Radcliffe and Harvard before that those campuses become co-ed. And so she is an academic having to kind of fight for, a female academic having to fight for her place there and into when she starts to work at MIT. Um, So it's about like that experience too. Um, It's about her meeting her husband, who's a very well-known mathematician, I think, and what being in relationship with him was like and how that affected her and her research. Um, And then also about being a researcher at MIT, who in some ways, she's a humanist researcher. And so how her research and her gender affected how she was accepted at MIT and what it was like being a person who was kind of critical of technology in some ways at a campus like MIT, where that is so important. And she's just, she's a, such a well-known researcher. Um, one of the articles I was reading about this said that she was the first woman to ever appear on the cover of Wired magazine in 1996, which, like, that just sort of blew my mind for, like, many different reasons. And so this one, this memoir about her life, but also about kind of the, the stories of her research and how she came to research technology and relationship feels like a really interesting one to read this year in particular, given like how technology is now playing such a huge role, even bigger than before in the ways that we connect with each other and how we interact with each other now that so many people are working remotely and having all these Zoom meetings and everything like our use of technology, if we can even imagine, like has skyrocketed and it really has changed how we connect. Um, And so I think her reflections on that in this memoir would be are are kind of a really fascinating juxtaposition. So um, this is an interesting one so far. It's a really beautifully written memoir. The New York Times Review was very positive about it as well. So um, I'm enjoying it so far. So that is The Empathy Diaries, a memoir by Sherry Turkle. That sounds really fascinating. I can't believe 1996. I know. Yeah. Also, I thought that Gillian Anderson was on the cover of (laughs) Wired in the 90s. And now I'm trying to, I'm like, was it 98? Had the, just the glass ceiling of the wired cover been broken and by, by Sherry Turkle? I have a lot of questions, but pretty specifically related to Wired magazine. <laughs> anyway, speaking of women, ha ha, let's just close out Women's History Month with 
another book about women. So we've had this uh, rash is a negative term, perhaps. We've had a lot of books about, you know, how women really were behind XYZ and which in some cases I think might be stretching it, perhaps, or the the impact. And I, I think I thought that for a moment about this book, but I think it it makes a pretty compelling case. So this is When Women Invented Television, the untold story of the female powerhouses who pioneered the way we watch today by Jennifer Keishan Armstrong uh, out March 23rd from Harper. So when this starts, it uh, is set up with uh, radio is king, right? And that's using using this masculine term on purpose. And uh, making all the money, everyone has a radio, everyone's listening, this is where the advertisers want to go, you know. And this machine came out, uh, this invention called a television that was very expensive and seemed very gimmicky and just not practical as something that uh, your average person would have in their home. So it was pretty much ignored by the people who were, you know, these um, telecommunication kings again. And so the there were these four women which those are the women that the book focuses on, who saw an opportunity and decided to uh, use television to um, do their projects. So one was Irma Phillips, who uh, created daytime serials featuring female-dominated casts. Uh, Gertrude Berg turned her radio show into a Jewish female comedy that uh, became a play and a musical and an advice column and a line of house dresses. Uh, Hazel Scott, who was a a renowned musician, was the first African-American to host a national evening variety program. And then Betty White. Betty White became a daytime talk show fan favorite and one of the first women to produce, write, and star in her own show. So we don't we don't hear about uh, Erna Phillips. We don't hear about Gertrude Berg. We don't hear about Hazel Scott. We do hear about Betty White, <laughs> but <laughs> we don't hear about generally uh, her start in TV, right? We hear about her as related to how, uh, what a charming old person she is and how great she was on Golden Girls. So this also gets into the House of Un-American Activities Committee and how blacklisting was working in the 1950s, I believe. And just a lot of that was going on in mid 20th century America, specifically related around the McCarthy trials and also in the entertainment industry, specifically television. So if you are interested in that, this is really, really fascinating and a look at something that I personally did not have a lot of background in, despite being very into that time period. Like I, I really love the 30s through the 50s. And but the the whole rise of television, I just had like vague information about. So it is When Women Invented Television, the untold story of the female powerhouses who pioneered the way we watch today by Jennifer Keishan Armstrong. That sounds awesome. I'm all for all these books about women's contributions to things that we previously have not gotten to talk about women's contributions in them. So that's how I didn't mean to say that we shouldn't be writing them. (laughs) I know what what I meant was, I think that sometimes it's overstated in the same way that I, uh, I think I talked last episode about how, you know, it's like the one thing that revolutionized the Mm -hmm. world. And you're like, it's, you know, like the thimble. I always go for the thimble (laughs) in that example. I don't know why. I don't think there is. Is there a book about how the thimble changed the world? I don't think so. <laughs> That's my next project. <laughs> I would buy that. Not to equate women with thimbles. I'm sorry. No, I know. I yeah, you're right though. It has been an it's been an interesting trend over the last several years just watching those stories finally get to be told. So and I like 
I wish I was a better like historian of nonfiction to know like when it first started and like what was the book that sort of kicked it off in some ways. But yeah, maybe like The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Well, I was going to say, was it not hidden figures in terms of the like, you know, here's a group of women who actually had this big effect. In in which case that one is like legit. People didn't really know about that. But I don't know. I feel like sometimes it's a reach. Yeah. But who am I to judge? (laughs) Yeah. I got you. I got what you're saying. I got what you're saying. (laughs) All right. So with that, we will move on from new books into our uh, second sponsor for the episode. So this episode is sponsored by TBR, which is Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. If so, if you want a great new nonfiction book to read, but you're overwhelmed by all of the buzz, uh, we can help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and your dislikes, what you're looking for, and then sit back while a bibliologist will handpick recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print a Bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support in India too. TBR is available as a gift. Uh, You can visit mytbr.co to sign up today. Signing up only takes a couple of minutes. You answer some questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for. You can link to a Goodreads profile, and then you're finished. TBR subscribers are matched to bibliologists based on your requests, so you'll find a person who is going to be great at making recommendations for you. And so visit mytbr.co to sign up. That's mytbr.co. All right. So uh, for this week's uh, episode theme, we decided we wanted to talk about some of our favorite or book, favorite books or books we're looking forward to reading by East Asian writers. And this is obviously in response to sort of the increase in East Asian violence that's happening in the United States and the shooting in Atlanta and just trying to contribute some reading and recommendations in that area, which I also want to just say that like reading is not the only thing and you should match your reading with action and support and other more visible signs like that. But books are always a place to start, I think. Do you want to go first, Alice? Oh, sure. My first pick for this is the Souls of Yellow Folk essays by Wesley Yang. I got, I think I got this for Christmas, like a two years ago, whatever. Um, and it's partially because I'd I'd heard about it, and also not like not to go back to the cover thing, but the cover is really good. And so the title of the book, The Souls of Yellow Folk, is from the Souls of Black Folk, which is a 1903 classic by W. E. B. Du Bois. Um, and in this uh, collection of essays, Wesley Yang, so he covers uh, a number of things. There's not really a unifying thread throughout, but he wrote uh, an essay which won a National Magazine Award. It's called Paper Tigers, which is in response to the uh, tiger mother parenting, which at the time was was very talked about. And there he uh, explores this intersection of Asian values and the uh, American dream and then um, what it is like for the child who is exposed to this, you know, like tiger mother parenting. Um, He also does a close reading of New York Magazine's Sex Diaries and uh, was among the first critics to really take seriously this sort of like way that we now meet people via the internet. And I mean, that's how my wife and I just celebrated our six month anniversary. We met on Tinder. (laughs) So that's just, just a thing now. He also uh, talks about, there's uh, an essay called In Eddie Huang Against the World. Um, he tells about how this, you know, sort of very famous chef, how he struggled when his memoir, which is Fresh Off the Boat, which is another recommended book, 
became a TV series that he believed was filled with stereotypes um, and how difficult that was. So it's just, it, again, it covers a lot of area, but I think that that can be extra interesting because then, you know, you kind of are just like hopping to different subjects. Your mind is kept really engaged by being like, oh, what's what's this, like what area of culture is this going to be about? Um, so again, that is The Souls of Yellow Folk, Essays by Wesley Yang. It's a really good pick. I I missed that one when it came out, but it sounds sounds super interesting. So awesome. My first pick is one that I actually got to talk about on Get Booked a few weeks ago. So I'm repeating myself a little bit, but it's really good. So I wanted to talk about it again. Uh, and that book is Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change by Ellen Powell. Uh, and this is so Ellen Powell is a woman who made a name for herself in Silicon Valley. And then she fought for equity and inclusion after. So in 2015, she sued the uh, venture capital firm that she was working for, for discrimination around sex and race. And um, that suit kind of rippled out through the tech industry because it was one of the first really big discrimination cases that were brought against a venture capital firm. And so in the last suit, she alleges a pattern of discrimination and retaliation against women and other minority groups in the tech industry. And so that was kind of the big momentous part of the book. But the memoir really starts with her childhood. She's the daughter of um, Taiwanese immigrants to the United States. So she writes about her childhood, her uh time in school, her ascent in the tech industry, and how leaders in technology tried to cut her out of finding success there. Um, for a while, she was the CEO of Reddit, where she took action to change the status quo for the company and its product by banning revenge porn and unauthorized nude photos, and then shutting down parts of the site over online harassment. And since she her uh, left the tech industry, she has been working at a nonprofit called Project Include, which is a uh, works on accelerating diversity and inclusion in technology. So um, this book came out a few years ago, and it's it's fascinating. Um, she has a really interesting life story, but then her experiences in Silicon Valley are she writes about them really honestly and she just writes about them in a way where they're very easy to understand and you like understand where she's coming from, but also the difficulty that she was facing and sort of trying to balance moving up in this industry with also fighting for the rights and against the discrimination that she and others were experiencing. Um, and I think it's just a really powerful look at that industry from a, a different perspective than we sometimes get to hear about. So that is Reset, My Fight for Inclusion and Lasting Change by Ellen Pau. So is that a, that's a pretty recent book then, if her lawsuit was in 2015? Yeah, I want to say maybe it was like 2018, but I can't remember for sure. Dang. I can't imagine suing a venture capital firm I in know. Silicon Valley. Yeah, like that just sounds yeah. so incredibly daunting. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, okay. That actually, oh, side note, that reminds me a little bit of Crash Override by Zoe Quinn, uh, mm-hmm. where she, that was, you know, the whole Gamergate controversy. Uh, I mean, not even controversy, it was like a, abuse and, and horror. And she talks about online bullying, and it's kind of, you know, taking on that similarly, but it, I think in a, in a different way, kind of daunting. Because there, right, she's taking on like internet trolls as opposed to like billionaires. Yeah, billionaires <laughs> who are used to like throwing money at things and having them go away and not yeah. being accountable at all. Exactly. Um, okay, so my next pick is Dear Girls, Intimate Tales, Untold Secrets, and Advice for Living Your Best Life by Ali Wong. I really love a, a 
comic slash comedic memoir. And Ali Wong's stand-up is so funny. She did, I think it's called Cobra Baby or Baby mm-hmm. Cobra. <laughs> baby Cobra makes Baby way more Cobra, sense. Let's yeah. Um she's Baby Cobra and she's um she's been in an oh she's the voice of um Birdie in Tuca and Birdie. Oh yeah. Such an amazing show. Anyway, so she has a storied career. So in this book, it's a letter to her daughters. And um, it talks about uh, kind of going back to when she met her husband, her pregnancy, which is um, pretty well documented, I would say, in her stand up. <laughs> but she, you know, talks a little, <laughs> she covers some other aspects of it in this um, childbirth, what parenting is like, uh, her early stand-up career, which I remember that part really, um, well, standing out, because talking about your relationships, right, with other stand-up comedians, which those are the people you're going to see, especially because you're going from town to town and you're sharing apartments with these people who, you know, a lot of them are probably not going to be great. So the ones who are, you know, you're really going to bond with. And what happened when she bombed on stage, how that helps you, you know, and then also her Vietnamese and Chinese upbringing uh, and study abroad in Hanoi and how that kind of helped her understand her mother better. And then also, right, how that reflects into her relationship with her daughters. So it's just for a comedic memoir, and, and it is it is funny, but she gets into a lot. And I just really like her. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like um, if someone's writing a memoir, right, that's that's kind of a, a key part. And mm-hmm. I have read comedians' books where I, after I've read them, I've been like, well, I like them less now. And I, I definitely <laughs> – I definitely like Ali Wong more after this. Um, she, oh, she also has a section where um, it's like a, a few of the letters because the whole thing – instead of like essays, right, it's it's letters. And a couple of them are these lists, and one of them is how to host a cheaper wedding, which, again, having gotten married last year, I was like, oh, what? Uh, one is buy your dress on eBay, which I really admire people who have that kind of uh, – uh, I think that I was too cowed by the culture <laughs> that um, – I mean, I didn't get my dress anywhere fancy, but um, getting your dress on eBay is such a, a, a bold move. Not even bold. I don't know what word I'm looking for. I'm impressed. So (laughs) there was that. And also getting your hair done at a blowout bar, which also is – that's a fantastic suggestion. So anyway, (laughs) there's there's a whole range of things, right, from like getting in touch with her roots and going across the seas to to this, you know, like cheap wedding advice. I just really like it. And of the – of the comedic essay formats that I've read, I think that uh, this is one of my favorites, and uh, I recommend it. So it is Dear Girls, Intimate Tales, Untold Secrets, and Advice for Living Your Best Life by Ali Wong. Did you read that one or listen to it as an audiobook? I read it, and I kind of regret that. I feel like most of those are better as audiobooks. Yeah, I, I'm looking for a next audiobook or thinking about other audiobooks to read, and this one seems like that would be right. That, that format would really suit her, it feels like. Yeah. Um, yeah, very good pick, very good pick. My next pick is a book that I've talked about before called All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. And this is a memoir that came out in 2018. Um, and it is about being a, a, a Korean person adopted by a white family from rural Oregon. So she was, the author Nicole was born severely prematurely and then placed for adoption by her Korean parents. Um, she was adopted by this white family from rural Oregon and there. 
everything that they knew at the time and everything that they were told by social workers in their school and everything was that they should sort of ignore her Asian identity and just be colorblind and live their lives as if they, you know, just just ignore that and it's fine. Um, and so she... She writes a lot about how that uh, that experience affected her and how she this the story that her parents and she, and she and her parents told about her adoption was sort of this myth that her biological parents had sacrificed to give her a better life and she was meant to be with her white parents. She grew up in a town where she could count the number of other Asian people in the community like on one hand. And so there was a lot of bullying and isolation around race. But she also, because her family didn't talk about her race and didn't talk about had this mixed race adoption, she just kind of thought that was the way things are. And so um, the memoir, kind of what spurs her to write it, is that when she was pregnant with her first child, she decided she wanted to connect with her biological family. So she kind of starts to look them up and tries to reach out. And then... Um, as an adult, starts to have this very different relationship with her biological family and uh, gets sort of has to rethink and reframe her upbringing to understand like what it meant to grow up sort of as Asian, but not really being acknowledged that way by her family and her community in some significant ways. And so it's just this really beautiful, the writing in it is really gorgeous. Um, she writes a lot about representation and what it means to see ourselves in our heroes, which is something that I, when the, the time that I read it was very resonant for me. And then a lot about the complexities of interracial adoptions and how how that affects families and kids. And one of the reasons I thought about this book to talk about in this episode is that she's been very active on Twitter and she wrote this really wonderful essay for Time magazine that came out just uh few days ago called my white adoptive parents struggled to see me as korean would they have understood my anger at the rise in anti-asian violence um and she writes a lot about all of these different things or she writes about all of these different things and tries to sort of grapple with her upbringing and her her white parents and what's happening in the country today and how they might understand anti-asian violence given that they sort of never talked about her asianness in their family um i think it's a really powerful essay and gives another perspective on everything that's going on um so I'm, we'll link to that as well but i think this is a really beautiful memoir and if you haven't read it you absolutely should so that is all you can ever know by nicole chung i love that book it's so good it's so good. Yeah, so good. Now I feel like I should reread it because I'm just I know. you did such a good job of summarizing it. <laughs> I checked it out from the library when I first read it, and it's one of those books I always wish that I had a copy of on my shelves because it just is so beautifully written that you kind of want to go back to it once in a while and just skim through parts and read them. The last book I wanted to talk about is one that I have not read, but I checked out from the library intending to read soon. But I think it is also another really good one for kind of the topic we're on and the place we're in right now. And so that is The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee, which is a history of Asian Americans and their role in American life. So the book starts all the way back with sailors who came on the first Trans-Pacific ships to the, came to the United States in the 1500s before it was the United States, and then comes up to Japanese Americans who were incarcerated during World War II, and then focuses a lot on the last 50 years when community activism around Asian uh, communities has increased, and with the arrival of many new immigrants and refugees that have helped change the landscape for Asian Americans of all different, coming from all different places. And so um, she also, in the book, looks at how Asian Americans have shifted from being what she calls despised minorities into model minorities. 
and what that means and how that affects how Asian Americans are seen in American culture more generally. And the book was published in 2015, which was 50 years after the Immigration and Nationality Act was passed. And that uh, 1965 law abolished the National Origins Formula, which is a quota system. Uh, And when that quota system was abolished and replaced with a different system, it increased the opportunities for immigration from Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, and Asia. And so there's been a big increase in uh, immigration from Asia since then. And so that's part of kind of how the shift of how we see Asian Americans and Asian immigrants has changed and part of what she tries to explore in the book. So um, I have not read this one, but it has been widely uh, praised and recommended by other Book Riot contributors and editors. And so it's always been on my list and I just keep not grabbing it. And so I got it from the library a couple of days ago and that's the one I'm going to pick up next. So The Making of Asian America by Erica Lee. What you were just saying just reminded me how, you know, last year when we were celebrating the centenary of uh, basically white women, right, getting the vote, Mm -hmm. Asian American women could not vote until, I'm not going to have a precise year, but it was either, it was between the 1940s and 1950s, which is shocking and horrible <laughs> so uh just yes. to just to have that you know kind of um addition in there there was also you know there were uh, laws against citizenship um for i believe all people of asian descent again this is me like without notes just like kind of going but um it's this stuff that again we're it's not emphasized in schools we don't really talk about it until you know like maybe you get older and you start (laughs) reading some things and this is why we are uh, or one of the reasons why we read nonfiction and you know keep trying to uh learn new things and then talk about them such as right now yes that's a, a very good concluding statement so with that we will round out the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading or listening to right at this very moment. So uh, I myself have returned to A Promised Land by Barack Obama, which came out last year, and it is a very long memoir by a president uh, that I bought last year and I tried to read and I didn't. Um, It is my book club's next pick, so I am recommitted to trying to finish it. This time I have decided I'm going to try the audiobook to see if listening to Barack Obama read his book will help me move through it more efficiently than trying to read it because it's a chunkster and I get intimidated very quickly by those. It's nice to listen to Obama talk. He's very soothing, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a 20-hour audiobook, so we'll see. But I'm hoping to have this one finished by the time my book club meets in mid-April. So fingers crossed the pressure of book club is enough to get me through. I believe in you. I'm uh, I'm, I don't even know what percentage through Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, but <laughs> at some point, it's going to get done. It's going to get finished. Um, No, I'm currently reading City of Light, City of Poison, Murder, Magic, and the First Police Chief of Paris by Holly Tucker, which you were saying right before the podcast you read. Did you read this one or just the her first one? I know that I read her first one, which is called Bloodwork. Uh, I think that I read this one, but I cannot remember for sure. Well, I picked it up and read the first few pages uh, when I was in the bookstore, and I was like, oh, this is is fun nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm I'm very excited to continue. And with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. 
Thank you, Jen. And we would love it if you would take a few minutes to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find us more easily. And then while you're there, you can subscribe so they get new episodes the very minute that they come out. So with that, I'm Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.